Welcome to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast. I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. This podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Hargadon. My topic for this half hour is kind of a fun one. It is a concept called thought stopping, which I'll explain in some detail, and maybe some de-escalation tools for your toolkit with patrons that are a little bit of a lighter touch and maybe connected to the thought stopping idea, which sort of throws them off guard and gets them back down to a grounded reality with you, especially when they're ranting or especially when they're out of control in their conversation or behavior. So let's get started. In a nutshell, the concept of thought stopping is where you are dealing with a patron who is repeating the same story over and over again because he or she is frustrated and there's a sense that they don't think you're listening or if they do think you're listening, they want to tell it again because they just like hearing themselves tell it again. This is what psychologists call perseveration or what you and I might call the broken record problem. Perseveration means they continue to tell the same story over and over again. And thought stopping is a way to catch them, ground them in reality, and bring that back down to your ability to have a normal conversation with them where they get off of this energy that they have. Thought stopping works best when you have heard the patron. You have done what I have talked about in all these years of my career in library security and safety and service, which talks about venting and validation, allowing a patron to vent, validating his or her concerns, being as empathic as possible, being as patient as possible, listening as well as you can with uh, your attention to detail about what the specific issue that the patron is worried about or angry about or frustrated about. Thought stopping is a way to interrupt that DVD player that's in their head by getting them grounded again. And you do it in a way that sort of knocks them off of their Uh, conversational momentum. It sort of knocks them off of this downhill race that they're on. The best example I ever heard of thought stopping was when I was in my law enforcement days in San Diego and I was attending a training class on de-escalation and verbalization skills with with people in the field. It was taught by an old crusty lieutenant. And the lieutenant told a story one time where he said he got out of his patrol car one night as he stopped a guy and before he could get up to the car the guy jumped down and said I'm gonna kick your ass. And the lieutenant said, hey, it's a good thing I'm into that. And the guy went, huh? He said, get over there. Stand over there. Get over on the sidewalk. He's like, oh, yes, sir. And he went over there and stood on the sidewalk and complied with the rest of the lieutenant's instructions. So him jumping out of the car and wanting to fight the lieutenant and hearing back, hey, it's a good thing I'm into that, right, is one of those thought-stopping moments. And so I've taken this example many times in high-risk, high-demand, high-stress service situations where someone is just not hearing you. They're just not listening. Now, the key to thought stopping being successful, it doesn't have to be goofy like that, but it does have to come at the end of the venting and validation conversation. It can't come at the beginning. That'll frustrate the patron, and and it doesn't make any sense in the context of what you're trying to do. But if you have validated, if if you have let the person vent, if you have listened to the story for the third or fourth time, simply look over their shoulder and go, is it starting to rain outside if it's cloudy one day? And they'll go, huh? And they'll turn around and look and see if it's starting to rain, and it's not. And they go, uh, no, it's not starting to rain. Mm, what was I talking about again? And then we got them back down to reality again. There are literally a million things that you can use. A thought-stopping moment is a way to stop the continued racing thoughts and get the person back to grounded in reality by picking something which is not connected to the issue. I often use the other one sometimes if I can see into the parking lot. Hey, is that, is, that a, is that your yellow motorcycle parked out there? Person turns around, I don't have a motorcycle. And they go, uh, uh, what was I saying again? And then they're back to reality. You cannot do this more than once. It's a Hail Mary 
type of a, an approach where last gasp, last ditch effort to get this person to come back to where you are. Now, it works on people who are angry or frustrated. It may not work on people who have a serious mental illness, but it does work. And sometimes you say, okay, I have reached the point where I've heard the story. I don't want to hear it again. I'm going to try this as a last ditch effort to get this person to stop going on and on about an issue, which I either had nothing to do with, or I can't fix until we're back down to reality. So that's what thought stopping is all about. When I look at it as a concept, it is not an early tool, it's a late tool. And it jars the person back to reality. And if you do it too soon, it, it'll be horrible. Uh, but you don't want to listen to the same stories over and over and over again. When it works, it really works. So that is the concept I want to kind of continue off of today. Thought stopping and some de-escalation tools for your toolkit as well. One of the concepts related to thought stopping is where you are going to sort of try to, how do I say this, interrupt the patron's thought process by asking him or her a question they already know the answer to. So this is a rhetorical question that you ask them in kind of a surprised voice. I'll give you an example. A person is cursing up a storm in the library and they're angry at the, the internet or something and they're throwing down something, phone, book, magazine, newspaper, and they're stomping around and they're cursing a blue streak. You come over and you go, wow, I haven't heard curse words like that since I was in junior high school. And they go, huh? And it's not what they expect you to say. You get them back again with this thought-stopping moment where you catch them before they go off on another cursing rant and just go, hey, you know, a little bit of a lighter touch here. I'm going to ask this person or a question or make a statement in this case that is a little bit provocative, but it does attempt to get them back to the real world. The other version of that, which is a, a perfect one, especially for all types of patrons, is when you see a patron acting out in some way, especially this works really well for your frequent flyers or for kids or for people that you've dealt with a lot, um, certain people from, from the streets that come in that are particularly difficult to deal with, where you say, I bet you know exactly why I'm going to come over here and talk to you, right? I bet you know exactly what I'm going to say to you that I want you to stop doing, right? And it's that foregone conclusion kind of an approach, which which sometimes they go, yeah, I'm being too loud, or yeah, I'm making a mess, or yeah, I'm doing, okay, you got me, or whatever. And, and sometimes you can get them back to reality in that way as well. It's a lighter touch. It doesn't uh, rely on you shouting at them. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek, sort of a little bit of a sense of humor kind of an approach. If you think about the thought stopping, hey, it's a good thing I'm into that. That's, that's a perfect example of, of, a, of a concept that always makes people laugh when they hear the story. But think about those things that you could say to somebody like, I bet you know why I'm here. I bet you know why I'm coming over in sort of a lighter touch, a little bit of a, a friendlier tone. I bet you know exactly what I'm going to tell you that you can't do anymore, right? And what is that, Jerry? And Jerry says, okay, I can't do this or I can't do that. And then Jerry starts to comply. If that works, then it works. If it doesn't, then you have other tools in your toolkit and you can always get a little bit tougher. But the value of that thing is, uh, that approach is that it's, it's a softer and it, it kind of just catches the person where they are and, and it, it, it helps you enforce your authority, but in a really much lighter way and it still gets results. I was listening to a colleague talk about the concepts of de-escalation and, and he made a point which I, I guess I understand and, and have to say that he's exactly right even though I don't want to. And the, the problem, as he defined it, and the answer as he defined it, he's exactly right, which is de-escalation only works if both parties agree to it. You are trying your best to de-escalate a situation with a person who does not comply, who will not stop yelling, who will not leave, who will not follow the rules or, or follow the code of conduct or the particular policies that he or she may be in violation of, 
no matter what you try. So de-escalation in that situation is a 50% effort on your part and a 0% effort on their part. De-escalation from your part is, a, is an all-out attempt to get control of the situation and help the patron get back under control, which he or she does not want to do. So I, I guess I have to agree because sometimes we think about things and you say, well, don't most people want to cooperate? Maybe. Don't most people want to get along with the program and not, not cause problems? Maybe. Don't most people want to not draw attention to themselves, negative attention? Or don't most people not want to involve security or the police or getting kicked out of the library? I guess so, but do we have lots of situations where people say, I don't care about the consequences. I don't care about compliance. I don't care about what you say. I'm not going to do anything other than what I want to do, even if it involves me leaving here in in an uncomfortable way, getting kicked out, getting walked out by security, getting, getting arrested by the police. That part always, I guess, sort of disturbs me when I think about human beings wanting to be cooperative and collegial with each other as strangers in the world that we're all living in where we just want to get along and and move on with our day. Some folks just do not. So when you think about de-escalation from your part, don't feel guilty about the fact that sometimes the best you can do is literally the best you can do because the other person is just not complying, will not comply no matter what you say. Along that same line, I have talked before about the concept of yes people, maybe people, and no people. And we certainly deal with all three types sometimes in the library. Yes people are cooperative. You say, sir, could you wait over there for a second? They, oh, sure. And they stand over there. Say, ma'am, could you, uh, could you hand me your library card? And they say, oh, sure, here it is, right? Um, sir, could you excuse me? Will I step, step past here with the card? Don't mean to get in your way. I just need to get through with the card. And they go, oh, sure, no problem, right? Yes people are yes people. They cooperate. Maybe people are people who say to themselves and perhaps to you, or they demonstrate it with their body language, Maybe, yes, I will cooperate, and maybe I won't, depending on how I feel, but more accurately, depending on how I perceive how you treat me in this service experience here. So if we tell people certain things and they go, all right, I'm not going to do it, and what are you, you going to do if I don't, or what are you going to do if I do, or whatever that is where they play sort of that childlike thing where they try to test you. And so maybe people can be uncooperative sometimes up until the consequences get higher or up until you explain to them why they have to comply with certain things because that's what you're asking them to do in order for them to use or stay at the library. Now, obviously, the toughest of all these folks is the no people. They will not comply, and sometimes it is only when the cops get there or security walks them out or there's a big to-do with the police and being arrested and things like that, and they will go out kicking and screaming just because. And, and if you were to ask them in a clear or sober moment or a moment where they had some sense of, of ownership of their behavior, they would say, well, I lost my cool, but once I went down that road, I was like, I'm not going to give in and, and you know, I don't want to not look like a man or whatever it is that they, that they say is their rationalization or excuse. So here's the tough part about yes people, maybe people, and no people. Sometimes, and you know this to be true because you may have seen other people do it, your colleagues or coworkers or boss, or you may have done it accidentally yourself where you have turned somebody who is mostly cooperative, a yes plus person, yes moving towards maybe type person, or a maybe person has been mostly cooperative and then you turn them accidentally or intentionally based on what you say because you're frustrated or angry with them into a no person. Well, if you don't do that, then I'm going to call the cops. And then suddenly we're on in terms of a challenge of this person says, I'm going, to, I'm going to show you how tough I am or I'm going to show you that you can't scare me or whatever happens to be. So one of our key 
de-escalation components is to be able to read people and say, is this person pretty early on in the conversation a yes person, relatively cooperative? Is this person kind of on the fence between cooperating with me, following our rules, leaving or moving to another part of the library, being quiet or whatever you're asking them to do? Maybe they will, maybe they won't. We're sort of on the fence, but it really goes back to how if I treat this person with respect and dignity and patience and empathy and I'm reasonable and I'm fair and I'm firm and I'm consistent, all the things I've talked about in training, which I call the big eight or the essential eight, then this person will stay in maybe territory, but will probably comply. But if there are things that I say to this person that are rude from their perspective, or I get frustrated and say stuff that I shouldn't have said because I'm tired and I want to go home, and I'm frustrated with this person's lack of, of compliance, I can turn them into a no person. And I have seen this many times in my police career where cops have shown up and made things instantly worse by challenging people, by challenging people that, that wouldn't probably ordinarily um, want to fight or not comply, but because their, their uh, reputation or their ego is on the line, it turns into that type of situation. So it's important when I think when you look at de-escalation that you can think about those events where you say, was it me that said or did the wrong thing? I was condescending to this person. I was frustrated with this person. I got mad at this person. I talked down to this person and I turned them from a maybe person into a no person. Is it me? Now, sometimes it's your coworkers. And that's why I've talked a lot in my work career and training career about the concept of alignment, which says sometimes you are a better fit for a certain situation than your coworker is because he or she just pushes people's buttons. And we've all worked with people in this job or in other jobs or in other libraries or other work that you've had who push people's buttons. Sometimes it's a supervisor that can push people's buttons. And sometimes supervisors push employees' buttons and cause conflict with employees or anger and discontent with employees because of the way they treat them or speak to them. And that's a whole other topic of conversation. But if you look at those encounters with patrons where you say, can I get my job done? Can I be careful? Can I choose my words carefully? Can I choose my body language carefully? Empathic, neutral, approachable, polite. Doesn't mean you have to love the person or love what they're doing. You still can get compliance or ask for compliance, but you're doing it in a way which does not talk down to them or condescends to them. And do you do that and do your coworkers and colleagues do it to make your situation better and easier and you don't show up and, and ruin their encounter or they don't show up and ruin your encounter or worst case scenario, a boss shows up and ruins the whole thing with his or her treatment of the patron as well. So if we're all on the same page in terms of firm, fair, consistent, uh, um, assertive, patient, empathic, reasonable treatment of everybody, can we make sure that we're all doing the things that move towards compliance with the patron and not push the patron's buttons and get him or her to move from yes to maybe to no territory pretty quickly? When you look at the concepts that we're talking about for de-escalation, one of the things that we oftentimes don't think about is the cumulative effects of being angry at people. And sometimes when folks are angry at you, they carry that around and out of the building and into their next encounter with somebody else. That's kind of what human nature is. So our attempt in our situation is to not make things worse for the next person. And oftentimes think about maybe it's another staff member who encounters this person five minutes later or an hour later and they're still fuming about what went on. Now, we can't predict the future and we can't make people do things that they don't want to do. But your interactions with people can have a big impact on positive vibes going forward with somebody else or negative feelings going forward with somebody else as well. 
I have talked about my colleague, David Fowler. Dave uh, runs a training program that he does a lot for healthcare people and folks in customer contact positions, but really high stress, high stress encounters, um, casino employees, uh, clinic employees, things like that. Uh, Dave works in a lot in the public and the private sector. He has um, a company called Personal Safety Training, and he teaches a program called Evade, A-V-A-D-E, Evade. And one of the things that Dave talks about, and I saw it on a recent uh, uh, newsletter that he had sent out, is giving people that are angry some choices that are a little optimistic. And I thought that was a great phrase, an optimistic choice. If you will go sit over there, I'll bring you a glass of water. If you'll, if you'll gather up your stuff and go over here, I'll meet you at the door and I'll talk to you about this, this, and this. I mean, we give people sort of a reward function that makes it more likely for them to comply if they feel like there's an optimistic, potential, happy ending, happy solution, a happy result to the conversation. And I think it's a, a kind of an interesting way to look at things, that you offer uh, some sense of choice and even a, a reward that this person can get. Uh, one of the webinars that we have done at Library 2.0, uh, Dr. Gina Simmons-Schneider and myself, is dealing with people who have come from a trauma background, dealing with people who have mental health history in the library, and dealing with people who have homeless uh, mental health history in the library, where they've been on the streets for a long time and they are, they are pretty severely mentally um, ill and are untreated. And, and what she talked about in her experience was she worked at a clinic where a homeless woman came in and, and she would rant and rave and scream and, and frighten the staff and things like that. And, 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 you know, Gina would say, what do you want from us? What, 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 what makes you happy right now? She says, I'd like a piece of candy from your desk. And Gina says, okay, here you go. And the woman says, thank you, and put the piece of candy in her mouth and walked off. So it's not always that easy, and we're not bribing people to, to be good folks, but we are saying is sometimes small human touches. Here's a bottle of water. Um, here's, a, here's a Kleenex for your eyes or your nose or whatever. Here's a piece of candy. Um, here's something that you can take with you to read as you leave. Um, you know, there's lots of things that you might be able to do that have a kind of a lighter touch to them that are sort of reward-oriented. And I like this idea that Dave Fowler talks about of optimism. Meaning, you are trying to portray to the person that if they comply, if they go along with things, if they don't cause continued problems, if they quiet down, if they are not being disruptive in the library, that good things are going to happen on their behalf. So you might say to the person, hey, if I can get you to, to not be noisy, you can stay. It, it, it's up to you. If, if, I can, if I can get you not to be noisy and, and run around and, and bother these folks here like I've seen you do here for the last five minutes. If I can get you to go to a quiet part of the library, I'll come over with some stuff and you and I can talk or I can bring you something to look at or, or to read or whatever it has to be, but you got to do your part first for me. And so then they go over to that part of the library and they're quiet and they comply. So if you make those kinds of promises, you have to follow through as well. And following through on your part is simply saying, I'm going to keep my promises and do the things that I said I'm going to do for this person. So it does mean we have to have to give everybody treats and rewards all the time. They're not dogs. I get that. But this idea of, of an optimistic um, uh, approach to things which says, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. I have seen this in my service work as well, where we are saying we're dealing with somebody who is cursing over the phone or is super frustrated in front of you and is really angry and has raised their voice to the point where it's, you know, it can be heard down the street. I mean, we simply say to them, I can't help you if you shout at me. That's not what I do here. I, I don't help folks that shout at me. I just, I'm not allowed to do it. I can't help, you know, bl blame your boss if you want or blame the system or blame the policies or whatever, but just say, I can't help people that curse at me. I can't help people. I'm not allowed to help people that shout at me. I'm not allowed to help people that threaten me. I just, it's against our policy. We can't do it. 
And it's sort of a weird sort of a dynamic, which is I'm telling you that your only way of getting continued service from me is to stop doing the things that I'm not going to allow you to do, which is curse or threaten or, or, or do things in a way that a reasonable person would not want to engage with you. What we're saying to this person, and hopefully they read this, whether it's impaired by drugs and alcohol or mental health issues or whatever, that they have a choice in the matter in terms of how they comply and if they comply, what will be the benefit for them. Sometimes they won't, but sometimes they may realize, geez, I'm acting like a jerk, and if I bring it down and I act more reasonable, maybe this lady or this guy will let me stay here. I really don't want to go outside in the rain or whatever it happens to be. And they will see that it's more of a choice where it's not so much you telling them what to do, it's you asking them to make a choice about their behavior. So when you say, I can't help you if you don't do this, this, and this, it goes back to a concept I talk a lot about, which is you can't do this if you want to stay here. And, and the idea that we're asking a person to make a choice. So these are, are complex uh, human behavior situations which don't have easy answers and, and the sense that we can just say one thing that's always going to work is not always true. Uh, de-escalation, difficult communications, challenging communications with challenging people is always really, really tough. Psychiatrists, psychologists, people in law enforcement, social workers, paramedics, uh, folks that, that deal with the people who are out of control oftentimes in, at some small portion of their life or a large portion of their life, talk about how challenging it is and, and there is no universal answer as to what always works. But we think about the drivers for us in asking for compliance. I, I've, I've talked about this a lot, not using the P word. The P word is policy. Stop saying that's just our policy and our policy says, and you know, I'm not a lot. Just say sometimes what's another concept or another sort of lighter touch for the phrase or the word policy. So you may think of something like guidelines or rules that we typically follow here or administrative procedures usually suggest that I ask you to do this, this, and this. Sometimes just taking the P word policy out of the conversation can lighten the person's sense of the moment because it feels like they're less like being there lectured to by the, by, by the law book. And the idea of using the, the policy as a, as a as an excuse or as, as the common enemy is not always really useful. Just think of some other lighter touches, more semantically softer phrases than, than policies. I typically say stuff like our usual approach or how we like to handle things around here is this rather than saying it's against our policy. And, and we always go back to what is the impact on the library business? What is this person doing that's hurting the library business versus not? I go back to what is a small business impact issue, a, lar a medium-sized business impact issue, or a large one. A large one is something that puts other staff or patrons at risk of harm. A medium-sized one is something that bothers a lot of people and needs to be addressed. And a low business impact issue is something that is kind of maybe irritating, but not real high on the list of things we need to address because we, it's not impacting the business in a negative way. We always say that we cannot choose our customers, but we cannot choose our patrons, but we can focus on their behavior, whether it impacts the business in a negative way, and what we do that, that can address things, especially early, before it escalates into something. And then the other common theme, as you know, is consistency of message, consistency of approach between all staff. When people think that they can get away with stuff on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but not on Thursday and Friday and Saturday when you work, then most of the problems are going to be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. There is a consistency of approach, a consistency of message, a consistency of training, a consistency of the application of the code of conduct, or a consistency of application of our policies, so that people who come to our library feel like it is a safe, reasonable business, a safe, reasonable place for them or their kids 
or, or their friends or peers or whoever to come and know that they're going to be treated the same way every single day and that the expectations of behavior are going to be the same every single day as well. That's a, a perfect world library kind of a phenomenon, but I think it is possible when we look at the things we're trying to do in the environment that we're in. Last concept here. It is universal in, I think, most religious texts or doctrines. I've not read all of them, but there is some version, whether it's the Torah or the, or the Quran or the Bible or any other religious text where there is some version of the golden rule. The golden rule has always said since time immemorial, treat people the way you want to be treated, do unto others as you would do unto them. Okay, uh, that is a universal concept in our world in how civilizations function and, and treat each other, especially enhanced civilizations, intelligent civilizations. That's how we should treat each other. But think about the concept kind of in a broken way where you say it only covers do unto others as you would have them do unto you or treat people the way you, uh, they, you'd want to be treated only has kind of a, a, a partial truth to it. And the missing piece is sometimes we have to say, and this is the shift here and what other people have called the platinum rule, which is treat people the way they want to be treated. When you say, in this person's situation, here's an angry patron, what would I want? What would Steve Albrecht want in this particular situation as my solution that may be not even close to what the other person wants? When you think about the platinum rule says, I need to think about what solves this person's problem. And guess what? I need to ask better questions. I need to interpret the situation more accurately. I need to use my intuition, my experience, my work experience, my life experience to read the context and the content of this situation and say, okay, I can figure out what this person wants based on, on good questions, asking him or her what, what is important. But when you think about the golden rule, it's, it's, and I hate to say this, but it's a tad short-sighted, is it not? What would I want in this situation is only 50% of the issue. Well, what does the other person want? And can I flip it around so I would say, if I was in that person's shoes, I would want my, the library person to do this, this, and this for me or, or to, to do this. Now, some things you may be able to let happen or make happen. Some things you can initiate. Some things you will not be able to do because it's against policy or legal or whatever. But sometimes you say, I need to ask more questions of an open-ended nature like, what, what, what's good for you today? What, what, what gets you um, out of the library feeling better about it when, than when you came in? What, what's a solution that we both can live with? Those are type of open-ended, extractive, tell me how to fix the problem, patron, um, problem, comma, patron, comma, so that I know that I'm doing my best on your behalf. But my solution, what might be good for me, as a, you know, the person standing here, may not be at all close to what's good for you. So I go back to this sort of intuitive thought, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or the golden rule is half of the battle. The other half of the battle is the platinum rule, which says, what does this person want, need, or what can I do for this person that help them go away? And I always use this concept, relatively satisfied, not always thrilled, but relatively satisfied that I did or we did the best we could on that person's behalf. So get used to asking more of those platinum rule questions what solves the problem for you today? What's, what's a good solution for you today? What can I do for you right now that'll, 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 that'll solve this issue that we're talking about? Uh, what, what can I ask my boss that he or she may be able to do for you? Things like that, which, which move this towards a collective, mutual problem-solving thing rather than, well, here's what I'd want, and why doesn't the person want the same thing that I do? I mean, think about the closest people in your life, and you were to say, Let, let's compare foods or movies or songs or anything that, that we think we have in common, and it turns out we're not in common on that stuff at all. 
And so people are different in their likes, needs, and wants. And you say, what solves the problem for me is completely different as what solves the problem for the person I'm talking to. So get more comfortable, get, get more used to asking those types of, of platinum rule type questions. What is good for this other person? Not necessarily thinking of me first, but what solves the problem for them? That's an outward focused, outward facing solution to what's going on with them. Doesn't always work, may not always work, but it, it, for one, it shows automatically some deep empathy. And for other, it shows that you can think on your feet and problem solve on your feet without getting stuck in, well, how come they don't want what I want? Or how come the solution that I would think is, is best for this is not going to work for them? The answer is because people are different. So think about thought stopping. Think about, about uh, the golden rule versus the platinum rule. I have one other thing to talk to you about, and which is uh, a little bit goofy, and I saved it for the end, which is the double huh or the double what. And I have seen this work as well. Uh, the double huh or the double what is when somebody says to you what or huh after you ask them a question. Uh, do you have a library card, sir? Huh? And then you just say, huh? And they go, yeah, yeah, I have one. It's weird how it works. Try it. Somebody said, uh, you say to somebody, uh, sir, are you looking for the restroom? And he says, what? And you say, what? Uh, yeah, where's the restroom? They, they funny. It's funny how it works. They come back and hear you in certain situations on that process. Try it out, maybe with your kids, with a coworker who seems to say, huh, or what a lot, and see whether it works. But it's a funny phenomenon. Instead of repeating the question, just say whatever they have said, either the huh or the what. And you got to match it exactly, otherwise the concept doesn't work. But I have seen it work, and it's funny how it does. So I'd be interested in see if it works for you, because I've seen it work myself. So... Thought stopping, mastering the double huh or the double what, um, thinking about the golden rule versus the platinum rule, thinking about the optimism that we're trying to convey to somebody for a, a, a solution that they both can agree upon. Those are all part of our de-escalation tools. So thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast. I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. My thanks to the producer of the Library Surf Service and Safety and Security Podcast, Steve Hargadon from Library 2.0. For more information, visit the Library 2.0 website at library20.com. Until next time, thanks for listening and take care.